Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 31 of the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. We're two weeks away from kickoff, Christian. Two weeks. I know. I, uh, we, and we are 10 days. By the time you're listening to this, nine days away from college football and what could be Scott Frost's last game as the head coach of the Nebraska <laughs> Cornhuskers. I'm so that's excited. A, that's Not about Frost. I'm so, I'm just so no, excited. I was going to say, I didn't know what you were talking about there. No, I actually feel bad for Frost and his NCAA. I like, like my favorite thing is when coaches get caught for cheating when they're bad. Like well, imagine cheating to a 12 and 20 record. No, I didn't. Oh, I tweeted. I said, if, if you like cheat, if you violate rules and still lose anyway, I feel like you shouldn't get punished. I feel like you should get extra punished. I feel like you shouldn't get punished. I feel like that's embarrassing enough. Like you've, you've embarrassed yourself enough. That's enough punishment. You I guess. have been cheating and you're still that bad. Everyone laughed. Part Everyone laughed at the cheating team. The actual cheating part of it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't think yeah. it was like it was like what he had some like assistants that aren't supposed to be on field assistants on the field, which like, ooh, wow, the NCAA putting laying down the law. But it was more to me the whole like they hid from the university that they were having practices when they weren't supposed to due to COVID. Like they literally were like this. It was like a straight up what happens on the football team stays on the football team. And yeah. it's like. Wow, it turns out if you try to keep a secret and let 50-plus people on the secret, it's probably not going to get kept. So <laughs> shout-out to Scott Frost for yeah. another great move in his coaching tenure in Nebraska. I don't understand what happened to him. I really don't I, lo- I just I, – I, I don't know. And we, I, I, people have been tweeting <laughs> well, about this day, too. Well, the weirdest thing is, like, he went to – sorry, this is now Scott Frost, Frost, Scott Frost podcast. He went to been. Nebraska coming off going 13-0 at UCF, taking UCF from 0-12 to 13-0 in a two-year span. And he got to Nebraska. He sat down in his office chair, surveyed the corn and said, (laughs) and he said, I am going to do everything differently this time. He was like, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to make my players hate me. And I'm going to just throw fits about everything. I I mean, like he is a different person here at UCF. The players loved him. They like gushed with how they would like die for him. They would take bullets for this man. He goes to Nebraska and he's like, while wearing a hoodie, he goes to a podium and is like, my players were wearing hoodies today, and I think that makes them lame. Like, it's just, who is this guy for the he last, said, like, what said, happened to him? Let me take a second and think about everything that was working and throw it all away. That's we're literally start what over. he did, though. That is literally what happened. It's it's tough to watch, honestly. because like sucks. After a while, like I was like, yeah, I don't really have any ill will towards him. I was like, I want him to do well. And he just continues to shoot himself in the foot at every turn. To me, it was more about UCF continuing to do well because it really bothered. Yeah. I, we've talked about this before. It, it really bothered me at the time how like a lot of people's take was that UCF was some garbage program and Holy Frost came in and lifted them <laughs> out of obscurity. And that's not what happened. And I think that's part of the reason he's failed too. It's like the UCF situation and the Nebraska situation have nothing in common. Like UCF's in the middle of the most fertile recruiting bed in the entire nation. Nebraska is in Nebraska. UCF was two years removed from a BCS bowl. Nebraska's like 20 years removed from that. Like there was no, like everything that Frost succeed. I'm not saying Frost isn't a good coach because he really is, but like, I don't know why Nebraska hired a guy just because he was an alum when in reality, the situation he turned around had nothing to do with their situation. Well, that's what what I was going to say was like, well, if, if Scott Frost can't turn around Nebraska, no one can. But then like, I was thinking like, this isn't the same Scott Frost, so I don't think you really know that. Like if this, if the Scott no. Frost from UCF had like actually been the Scott Frost, like if he was the same guy, and did everything the same way you would think they would make may have made a little bit more progress by now but he's I think gone it, ahead and changed everything and they're just they're 12 and 20 in what three years it's been three years already yeah 
Wow. I, I mean, he'll absolutely get fired this year, but especially if this it's the not recruiting these violation stuff now. Like, I'm curious what comes next for him too, because I think at this point, like, if he gets fired this year and now he's writing, I committed NCAA violations and my players don't like me. I don't think even like a group of five teams gonna hire him as a head coach at this no, point. He's probably gonna have think, to go back to being a coordinator. I think he will go back to being a coordinator and very quickly from there, he'll do well as a coordinator and they'll someone will hire him again. It's always worse I, like I that in so. college football. Yeah, I, think so. I don't. It does not matter what you do a lot of, in a lot of cases in college football. There's always a way back. Yeah, um, like around 2023 when he's FAU's head coach, I'll be curious how that uh, game goes. But <laughs> That'll be uh, – That could happen. Some, that could, could totally no, happen. I would not be surprised. Yeah. It gets very, very – FIU's probably going to have an opening in like a year, so we'll see. Yeah, that would be, that would be something. Anyways, this is a UCF podcast. <laughs> we're, uh, we're two weeks Let's away talk from... about Josh Heupel at Tennessee. <laughs> do that next week. Um, we're two weeks away from kickoff. And so, uh, on today's podcast, this is basically our, our season preview, our UCF football 2021 season preview. Uh, we're going to break down a lot of the roster and then we'll do some, um, some talk about the schedule and, uh, then we'll, we'll get into the news like we always do, but the way we're doing these, um, the, the roster breakdown Christian, we've gone ahead and both of us individually have ranked our basically on a, based on our confidence levels, we've ranked each position group individually so we have quarterbacks running backs wide receivers slash tight ends are in one o-line d-line linebackers defensive backs and special teams we ranked them all based on which position group we're most confident in to least confident we're going to share them go back and forth here was that your confidence level the way you just listed them out no i just listed them from oh, okay like i don't know that's that's the list i sent you originally i said this is the position groups we're doing okay here it is. That was just, no, checking. I would not give that away. I know. That's why I was just kind of like, did he just, cause like, I, okay. All right, cool. We're on the same yeah. page. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll kick this off and we're going from most confident to least confident. So kind of curious to see how close we are on any of these. Do you, let me get your, your most, the group you're most confident in right now. We're usually pretty far off when we do this type of thing, but I feel like we'll be closer this time. We'll see. We'll see. Let's find out. I am most confident in UCF's quarterbacks. Matt, we're already, uh, seriously. Yeah. Oh boy! So we're I gonna, would the, love to the way we're going to do this. Them. The way we're going to do this is since you said quarterbacks for your first one, I'll just tell you where I have mine. We'll talk about the quarterbacks. Okay. So I have the quarterbacks at two. It was I thought about putting them at one. I can't I have, wait to know who you have at first because I don't think it's even close. Okay. Well, I want to hear your thoughts on the quarterbacks then. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's is like a machine. Like I, I don't know what yeah. you. I don't know what more you want there. And then behind him, apparently you have Mikey Keene who we're in love with. So <laughs> and even then, you've still got Quadri Jones who's had some experience. I, I just I don't know. Like I can't see. Oh, I, like, and I've been like a Dylan Gabriel critic, but at the end of the day, he's still probably a top 10, maybe even a top five quarterback in college football. I don't know if you have a top five quarterback in college football, how you don't say that's who you're most confident in. And that's, that's where I struggled. Team. That's where I struggled because yes, when you have Dylan Gabriel, like the quarterbacks have to be at the top of the list or very, very close to the top of the list. I kind of looked at it a little differently in, in terms of depth. I'm more confident. I, so I put the defensive line as my number one. Because when I went went down the roster and was looking at who UCF has on its defensive line, they got they have a lot of guys in there that like from maybe like one to eight or nine, I feel pretty confident in. And then when you get to the quarterbacks, yes, I'm obviously very confident in Dylan Gabriel. And I'm fairly confident in Quadri Jones, though we haven't seen a ton from him. We don't know necessarily what he would do if he had to step in for Dylan Gabriel. He's and also just not going to be the backup. So. The same thing for Mikey Keene because he's freshman. So while Dylan Gabriel, like if you were doing like if you were just ranking based on starters, Dylan Gabriel would be you know top of my list. Quarterback would be top of my list. 
when you look at the defensive line, I had like you look at Big Cat Bryant, Ricky Barber, two guys that were brought in as transfers that you're expecting to be uh, impact players. Kalia Davis is back. Uh, Traymon Morris Brash has been a guy for the last couple of years that has been very, very good. Josh Telescar was really good last year, had a couple games where he really burst onto the scene and I think could be even better this year. And you have some guys like Cam Wood, Landon Woodson, Stefan Zayas. There's just guys like all over the defensive line that I feel very like top to bottom, that position group I'm very, very confident in, which is weird to say, especially after a year like last year, but there's new blood. There's a guy in Kalia Davis that's coming back um, after opting out last year. And I just feel really good about what they have at defensive line. Kind of curious now where you have the defensive line. Do you not so feel that way? Just, just to clarify, UCF defense, horrible last year. Yeah. Horrible. And you have the D-line as number one. Yes, because the defensive line, if you look at some of the guys last year, those, some of the bright spots on the defense, Tremont Morris-Brash, Josh Ellisgar, Cam Good, and then you look at the guys they've brought in and Big Cat Bryant, Ricky Barber, and Kalia Davis coming back, I feel very, very good about that position group. Well, I think that's ridiculous. I have the D-line at number two. I would never have a, <laughs> okay. All right. well, <laughs> them then. at number one. No, yeah, and I, I literally agree with everything you said. I'm just messing with you. I okay. still I, I, I still think quarterback. Here's here's how I put it for quarterback. First off, I don't think Dylan Gabriel's ever had any kind of injury scare even in his whole career. Well, that's what made me nervous when I was thinking about this yesterday. <laughs> what, you're like a jinx type thing? Did I just, yeah. did I just jinx Dylan I don't Gabriel? Know. I don't know. I just don't know, like – you never know. It's you're you're one bad play away from. I mean, we know this as UCF fans. You're having to scramble to see, you know, what's your backup going to do. Yeah, but and this is just me being that much of a Mikey Keen fan. But like, I don't want Dylan Gabriel to get hurt. But if Dylan Gabriel got hurt, I'd be so excited to see Mikey Keen. Like, I would be thrilled. But yeah, either but way, you have to burn his red shirt. I get. Well, what it'd be worth it. They did it with Milton and with Gabriel. But UCF <laughs> actually has a tendency to burn red shirts for true freshman quarterbacks. Um, like. I know that you're saying that the D-line obviously has a lot more depth and like every position is going to have more depth than quarterbacks. Quarterback's the one position that doesn't really require depth. And I, I am looking at it as a one-man position. I mean, they have a top five quarterback in college football. I can't justify. And while I agree with everything you said on the D-line, and I think the D-line is probably going to be the team's like outside of Dylan Gabriel, the team's biggest advantage this year. I think it's going to be their best chance of contending in the conference. I still just can't justify. It's still at the end of the day, it is some unknowns. Big Cat's new. Kalia sat out last year. Ricky Barber's new. I can't justify putting that over quarterback, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I can't really disagree with you. I, I can't. Like it's it was it was one A, one B to me, but I just went ahead with my gut sure. and said the depth. And cause like and I think was it was it Gus Malzahn? I think a couple of weeks ago I was talking about the defensive line and saying, you know, they feel very confident about just being able to rotate basically two defensive lines into the game which is which that like that was the most excited i've been of anything he said yeah. since fall yeah. yeah so you know it's funny we said last week we were talking about how or i said it and you listened um how <laughs> that's how this like, podcast you in modern <laughs> you just in modern like, college yeah. football i'm trying to i said i told you after i had the bad rant two podcasts ago i said i'm not going to do a rant for at least three podcasts and i feel like i've held up on that so far yeah um but we'll see we'll wait till uh, the boise state recap and we'll see if there's anything there that you have to why would I be ranting after UCF wins by double digits? Um, you know, you look at modern college football, you look at the teams that win the national championship every year, and there's two main ingredients. It's a superstar quarterback and an elite D-line. And that's what we listed as UCF's two top position groups. So is UCF going to win the national championship? Now, now I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't the ingredients know. I like are there. I, the ingredients are there. I'm, I'm saying if you had to, I think for most teams, if you had to pick you get to pick which of your two position groups are elite. I think a lot of teams would be picking those two positions. Yeah. 
no i don't i don't disagree and i think that's why like it does really feel like a 1a 1b situation to me and then when you get down to like the next what well, we did eight so the next six there was a little bit more room i think for some variation so i definitely felt just in my rankings like i felt like there was a one and two and then a drop so i'm yeah. glad we're kind of on the same page there so who do you Who's have your three? number three wait okay yeah. you go or do I no, no no yeah you you, go. you had uh, you go ahead and go okay yeah. i have the offense flying see i came so close and this is going to be <laughs> i have i have them at four so i feel like we might actually just keep going like where we like kind of we're just going to keep flip. flip-flopping like this at three well, let's go ahead and talk about the offensive line and <laughs> so yeah they, they've got a ton of guys coming back and when you look like when you just and this can't be like you can't base everything off of this but like when you look at the roster and you go to their class or what year they're in you have like i think three or four guys that are red shirt seniors you have four guys Josh McMullen, Cole Schneider, Marcus Tatum, and Sam Jackson are all redshirt seniors. Ed Collins is a redshirt junior. And then you've got Matt Lee, who I think was like, he was a AAC, like all, I think it was second. Yeah, he was, he was all, yeah, he was all conference last year. Yeah. So you just have a lot of guys. He might've been, he might've been first. He might've been, which is like after he's the way he started the season, especially with that. I know that Tulsa game was one to forget, but he came back in the rest of the year. He was he was exceptional. No, he was great. I, and I wish, like, it seemed like a lot of fans made up their minds on him after that Tulsa game and then just started declaring yeah. UCLA. Like, he, he was actually great the rest he was, of the year. He was dominant the rest of the year, and that's why yeah. he ended up on the, the all-conference team the way he did. But, yeah, when you look at that group, and that's another thing, like, when – yes, like, you ha- – you, and we'll get on to this, but you there's a lot of apprehension and a little bit of hesitation with the running backs and the wide receivers because there's just a lot of unknowns. But if you have a quarterback like Dylan Gabriel and you have that offensive line, you you can feel a little bit better about easing some guys in or kind of just being able to figure things out a little bit more, which I don't know if I don't know if you agree with that. But like, I mean, I think I think if you have the right line, like an OK running back can become a really good running yeah. back. So that's I the mean, thing is, like, I would feel obviously this is going to be the most obvious statement ever, but I would feel much, much worse if UCF wasn't really sure about their offensive line and, you know, had to deal with figuring out piecing together the offensive line and also trying to figure out who their running back's going to be. Well, I feel like I'm just betraying like everything I've been saying for the seven months we've been doing this podcast, because I've very consistently said, and I still stand by, I think UCF is going to go 10 and two with the recent news of RJ Harvey being out, going to miss the year with an injury and Bentavia is getting dismissed a couple weeks ago. I'm kind of almost feeling nine and three now. And then at the same time, I listed quarterbacks, D-line, and O-line as the top three position groups for the team, which is like the recipe for like an elite team. So I don't know. I don't, whatever. But no, everything you said about the O-line rings true to me. And I'm not saying that they're going to be necessarily dominant or elite, kind of like what I feel like the D-line can be, but it's just, it's a lot of proven guys. And at the end Mm -hmm. of the day with a team that, especially an offense is going through a lot of turnover right now, you can't, you can't overstate how important it is to just have some proven guys who've been on the team and have been through this for years now. And have proven themselves on the field. You can build around an experienced offensive line and an experienced quarterback. And UCF has both of them. You can make it work. Yeah. There are worse situations to be in than that. So, yeah, I had them at four, very close to putting them at three. But at three, I had the linebackers. (laughs) Linebackers are my four. Okay. So, yeah, we're We're like so close, but not. Like, it's so (laughs) weird. The linebackers, I think this was the one that kind of jumped out to me where I was like, "There's, there's some talent here, first of all. Eric Gilliard, I swear he's been at UCF for six or seven years now. How long has he been at UCF? We were talking about this before the podcast started. I swear it's been like he's he's is he a, is he a senior or just a regular senior or redshirt? I think I was in middle school when he started with the team. <laughs> I really don't know. It's it's so he's, he's just a senior. 
does that's not, impossible. on the roster. He does not say he's a redshirt senior or anything like that. He's his first season was 2018. That's just not true. Someone <laughs> edited his page. He's been here since at least the first Fiesta Bowl. No, I mean, okay, that's a little bit much, but I was I was thinking he <laughs> No, I do feel like he's been here forever. Since I thought he was here on the 2017 team at least. Yeah, I would have thought so too. It just I don't know. It just feels like he's a name that we've heard from. Yeah. Which well, I, mean, I don't you know, know what part of that might be because he stepped in right away and produced like I think he was expected to produce right away and he has been at on some level one of the more productive linebackers UCF's had over the last three years. Well, we also remember for a while there, we had two linebackers named Eric. We also had Eric Mitchell. Mitchell, So I feel like that's part of it too. It's just the Eric's. It feels like it was a long time. So I don't want to put either of us on the spot here, but was Gilliard a four-star or is he a three-star? I think it was like a high. He was not a four-star. He he might've been a high three-star. Cause I remember there being some sort of fanfare around him committing to UCF. I don't remember why. I don't know. He was not a four-star. What's making me think of that. Um, but anyway, you have you have Eric Gilliard, you have Tatum Bethune, who I think I, I named him a couple weeks ago as I think he's going to be my defensive player of the year on the team. I was about to say. Um, and then there's Jermaine McMillan, there's Quade Mosier, who's a three star coming in, Bryson Armstrong, who's a transfer, who uh, Travis Williams apparently has been moving him all around the defense. I'm really kind of curious to see how that's going to play out. Um, and there's Jeremiah Jean Baptiste. There's these, there's just these guys who maybe they're not as proven as some of the guys in the other position groups, but these are guys that have been here that have been on the field that have gotten that valuable experience that I think can thrive, especially behind a defensive line that is going to be as good as I think UCFs can be. So that's why I have them at three, but I could also see them. So that's the thing is our top four now are just flip-flops. Both are one and two is flip-flop three and four is flip-flop, but I, th- I feel very good about those top four in general. We have the same top four positions and didn't match a single spot. That's actually like impressive. It kind of is. I, I said to you before the podcast started, like I was expecting to have the linebackers lower and still I started going like actually to the roster. And I was like, oh no, wait, I like trust all these guys to be good this year. So yeah, yeah I, and I like you said, Tatum Bethune is your pick to be the, what was it? Was it breakout player of the year or surprise <sighs> no, player? No, I think I said defensive player, the defensive MVP. Oh, was that it? Wow. Okay, I think it was. Yeah, that's high praise for Tim Bethune. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, and I also want to uh, apologize to, oh no, I forgot his name. Bryson Armstrong. Yes. Okay. I, when they, when he transferred here, I like on the podcast was explaining why an FCS player is in no way going to contribute to UCF. <laughs> and apparently, that. apparently that was just horribly wrong. I was because, like, well, at first I was like, cause I'm going to be honest. Oh, and I'm going to throw a little bit of shade at, it felt like a lot of UCF media members just kept asking about him. And I was like, are you guys just trying to make this a story? Like, is this really, but, and then Travis Williams is like, oh, he's all, we're using him all over the field. We love him. He spoke to the media today. So yeah. I, I like, yeah. So clearly I was, I, I just showed my P5 bias there <laughs> by thinking that um, I'm sorry, but when I haven't even I like surprised, heard of school. <laughs> I remember at the time being as surprised or being surprised at how dismissive of him you were. I was like, wait, like, cause when he, when he, they said he was one of the better, like, fcs linebackers last year okay but like what happens like every every single time an fbs team plays an fcs team it's not even like it's a close loss the fcs team just gets killed like nine out of ten times i recognize there are some good fcs programs like north dakota state would probably be like an eight win team in fbs but he didn't play for north dakota state i think it's a hard way to measure it because when you're looking yeah when you take an fcs team and fbs team there's going to be a big talent disparity but that doesn't mean there's not going to be players on the FCS team. Except for 2015 Furman, very, they were a dynasty. I don't want to talk about it. That's the first thing that popped into mind when you said, Any, what happens when an FBS, an FCS play? I was like, um, I'd rather not mention it. Um, but yeah, I just, I think there's, there's talented players in the in FCS. It's just whatever, for whatever reason, gone undiscovered, they're undersized, whatever it is. 
So I think he's a guy who can definitely contribute at UCF. And it seems like the coaches are excited about him. And now hearing this whole, oh yeah, like we're moving him around the defense. And then Jason Beatty asked like this week, oh, like what, what are you doing with him? And then Travis Williams said, if I told you, I have to kill you. That just built the intrigue for me. I'm like, I want to know what, what's going on. I want to see this guy on the field and see how they're, how they're deploying him. Because another thing about this defense is Travis Williams has these unique position names and these unique positions to try to like, throw off the offense, confuse the offense. So I can he started naming some of them uh, during his press conference on Tuesday. And I was like, every, every name he said, I was like, I wonder if Bryson Armstrong's playing there. I wonder if he's playing there. I wonder if that's where he is. So yeah, I'm just curious about, about Bryson Armstrong, but just on the whole, these linebackers, I think. And it, it's so weird, as bad as UCF's defense was last year. In, in our top four, we have both the, the defensive line and the linebackers. Um, uh, well, let me tell you one UCF defensive group in particular that we are not close to on my list yet. So we're not necessarily that close to them on mine either. So let's go ahead. Let's get to number five. And uh, I guess, should I go? So you, you went last time? Sure. Who's your number five? I struggled with this one too. Uh, my number five is the wide receivers and tight ends. That's and, also my number five. Okay. Well, we, we matched up on one. We did it. Um, I just, it's weird. Because I've said this on past podcasts that I'm just always expecting UCF to have just stud receivers. And so, yeah, while there's a lot of unproven guys in this group, I think there's definitely the potential for almost any one of them to just break out and be like an absolute star that we don't really know about yet. Of course, there's Jalen Robinson, who's on all those watch lists and had almost a thousand yards last year. Ryan O'Keefe flashed last year. But then when you go down the list after that, it's transfers, freshmen that we haven't really seen. So we don't really know. So that's why they're, you know, on the second half of my list is because I think there's a ton of talent here, but I just don't know. Like you guys, you look at guys like Jordan Johnson, Brandon Johnson, Deontay Marks, uh, Nate Craig Myers, and then Titus Makio Atamalala, who came in as a, as a four-star freshman. Nailed then, his name. Good job. Thank you. And then Kavan Ahmad, who we've been hearing about for years. So there's guys in, in the group that I'm like, oh, yeah, I think there's like there's definitely some talent here and we'll see how it plays out. But just because we don't know, we don't truly know what they have. That's why I'm a little bit more iffy on this group. Yeah, I I, I, I mean, I don't want to just echo everything you said, but yeah, I <laughs> I look, look, we've talked about this last week. And if you follow me on Twitter, this won't be a surprise to you at all. I am immensely stressed about this season. And this happens to me every year, like as we get close and we're in like crunch time now where I'm literally like. I feel like sick to my stomach when I start thinking about the Boise game. Cause I'm worried. And like, I always find things to panic about. We will talk about that with another uh, group of skill players soon. And uh, I, I just really, we're not soon. yeah, we're not soon. And <laughs> I just really, really, really am at the point where like, I'm convincing myself that what can go wrong will go wrong. So like in my head, I'm like, ah, oh, all the wide receivers suck. Like they're, <laughs> none of them are good. Like clearly that's going to be the problem. Like, and I know that's not true. Like Jalen, Jalen and O'Keefe were both really good last year, like, and had, and had some serious flashes. So I, so, and like half flash, that's literally Jalen's nickname. <laughs> um, like, that's the thing is, shouldn't that calm us down enough or calm me down enough that like they have two wide receivers who we know are good. So you just basically have to find one more and you're probably set. So will they, who knows? I hope so. Cause there's a bunch of guys. I like, I know a lot of people have said that Brandon showing up. Jordan Johnson's a former five-star. I, I, you know, there's another jo- Amari Johnson. There's so many Johnsons. One of them's got to be good, but I'm just in, I'm just in that zone right now. Where we're so close to the season. I'm just looking for things that will go wrong. And this is one group that I'm like, you like you, you're on the, I'm the opposite of you, I guess. You're like, you always expect them to be good. I'm like, this is going to be a disaster, but at the same time, 
I still like them more than a few other position groups we have to get to. And yeah. I also like am having to deal with the rational part of my brain that knows I'm wrong, like knows things will be fine. But I'm just this is definitely one of the groups that I'm concerned just, about. It, it is a little bit different, I think, coming into this year, because in past years, UCF has had a lot of success at receiver. And I think coming into the year, we've kind of just we've kind of just known what they have. Like there's been guys who were, you know, whether they had like, they might have had a small role the year before, a smaller role the year before but we knew coming into that next year, like I think it was Gabe Davis, Gabe Davis, like early on in his career had a little bit smaller of a role, but then when it was time for him to be the guy, we knew he could be. No, literally go back 20 going into 2017. We knew Traquan was great. Right. 2016. We knew we were set at Traquan going into 18. We knew about Gabe Davis by then. We knew about Snelson by then. We just gotten Trey Nixon as a transfer who we hadn't seen. So we were set there, had options going into 19. It was the Gabe Davis show because he popped off so much in 18 going into 20. It was Trey Nixon. And by then everyone knew it was time for Marlon. It was like, this is the first year where it doesn't feel so much like next man up is more like a lot of uncertainty here, if that makes sense. And I I do want to say that, that I think we knew to an extent that Marlon Williams could be, a very productive receiver for UCF, but I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't know if I saw him being what he became last year. I didn't, I didn't know. I, uh, I knew always, there were a lot of people, including me that were really, really high on him for a long time. That season. I would not have called last year a surprise. I wouldn't say a surprise necessarily. I would just say to the, to get to the level that he got to, to where like, I think he deserved like Blenikoff award, like right. votes and stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I did see, like, there was a lot of potential in him, clearly. But I think there was a little bit less certainty that he would be this next big star after losing Gabe Davis as there was, like, when we went from Traquan to Gabe well, Davis to whatever. I guess this is part of our wide receiver arrogance, because he wasn't, right? I mean, 20, 2020 was supposed to be Trey Nixon's year. And then, Trey, is, Nixon, yeah. and then Trey Nixon gets hurt in the Georgia Tech game. And that kind of feeds into our the wide receivers will always be fine because what happens training Nixon gets hurt in the first game. So they just go, okay, Marlon, you're now the guy. And he puts up like a thousand yards in a 10 game season. Yeah. And so it, I get that. It has always kind of felt like, and part of that is unless you're just blatantly dropping open passes, like when Dylan Gabriel is your quarterback, like he's going to find you, it's going to work yeah. out. So I, I'm actually trying to talk myself into not being worried as we do this podcast. That's also I'm why so stressed. I'm curious just because of his relationship with Titus. I'm curious to see if there's, if that, feeds into anything or if it's going to take a while for Titus to develop and in, into the college. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, we haven't heard I don't much know about if we're going to see we? Titus that much. We haven't heard much about, I mean, he's a true freshman. I, and he just got, got on campus too. Yeah. I, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't here early, for spring. So. so I don't think that he, I mean, I, he, I'm sure he'll, we'll see him a little bit like yeah. late in games, maybe if UCF's getting a blowout, but I don't know. I, I mean, I, you talk about relationships, Dylan took Jalen to Hawaii. Yeah. And Jalen said Dylan's his best friend. So I, I that's, I love to see that. That, yeah, that makes that is, me, that makes me excited. And I do, this is, has nothing to do with 2021, but 2022, if we like, we've started to think a little bit more that if Dylan Gabriel's back next year, then maybe next year is the year we see Dylan and Titus is like this ridiculous duo. Plus have, there's other young guys like Jordan Johnson. I think will probably yeah. be a bigger factor then. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm way more confident in the 2021 or the 2022 UCF Knights than I am in the 2021 UCF Knights, but <laughs> No one wants to hear you say that, but right before 2021 starts. Yeah, we're so. two weeks from kickoff, and Christian's like, can't wait till next year, man. That's going to be great. <laughs> next year, I think next year UCF's going to be the, the near six favorite, but the Cincinnati's <laughs> whole team is graduating. I'm telling you, 2022 is the year, man. Forget Should we just skip 2021? Welcome into the Pegasus Podcast for a 2022 <laughs> UCF season preview. Dylan Gabriel decided well. to not go to the draft, even though he was a projected seventh-round pick, so he's back. I don't – yeah, I don't know. 
I don't um, know. We've talked about that. I, we, we went from like, we kind of scaled back because for a long time it was like, oh, this will be Dylan's last year. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure. That was presumptuous of us. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But so we're, we're through our, our top five right now. Number six. I'm curious. I think we're going to have the same number six, but I don't know. I don't think we're going to based on a comment you made earlier, but you go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I do it? Yeah, yeah. I Why am last. I so bad at this? I I'm can't bad keep at it too. I think I'm, I'm just basically throwing it to you whenever I don't know. So I feel I, I feel like I've done every one, but I'm sure that's not true. I, right, I think I did the last one, but go ahead. My number six is the running backs. Oh, no way. <laughs> this is which, so- all, I mean, which I've been texting you. I've been blowing up your phone with how stressed I am about the running backs this for like is two so days now. Weird. And the whole time I've been like, dog, they'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know where they are on my list? What? They're last. What? They're last on my list. What? They're oh, last on oh, my list. Wow. And it's so funny because the, the roles have been reversed. I've I've been trying to talk you off the ledge for weeks now. I mean, or ever since ever since they dismissed Bentavious and then now they have I, the I feel like I just found RK out Harvey. my therapist agrees with all my concerns in life. Like I've been going to you like Bailey, I'm sorry about running backs. And you're like, it'll it's be no. fine. No. Well, okay, so will be great. And then you're the, like, oh no, yeah, they're the worst position group. No, the caveat I do want to put in is I'm not thinking like, oh, they're gonna be bad. It's just I'm least confident in them because I find them to be the least like certain. I'm just like I don't know. And with Ventavius gone, with RJ Harvey gone, I'm that's the one. I'm like I don't know what's gonna happen. Like I think they have talent. It's like with a little bit with wide receiver, but it's less so. To where I'm like I really don't know. Like some of these guys might like burst out onto the scene and be you know breakout guys, but I don't know. So I'm I don't know. I'm just not as confident in them as I am the other two that we'll get to. I feel deeply betrayed. Like I can't even put into words. I have I was, been freaking out about the running backs and you have been telling me it'll be fine. Well, I was putting this list together and it surprised me when I had them where I have them. Wow. I don't know. Let's, so let's talk about them. Yeah, let's talk about so, them. Well, now ben, I'm in pan. Now I'm, I, 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 you're right. No, they're terrible. I don't know why I put them that So high. Bentavious dismissed, which still sucks. I hate it. I, I don't know what he did. No one does, but it's just, it's horrible. Um, I would have loved to have him in this running back room, especially for the experience. Then there's RJ Harvey who had like this ridiculous performance in the spring game. Everyone was like, okay, this could be the guy going forward. Then he has a season ending knee injury. He so was now, even anointed with the RJ Harvey for Heisman tweets. Yeah, I did. I you. did say that. I don't, I don't want to say that was a curse because. Well, it can't be a curse. It can't be a curse unless this is the start of a curse, which, and that, if that's the case, yikes, I, maybe I should just retire it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just so they have Mark Anthony Richards, who I'm pretty high on, actually. I just we, and has been injured and that's the problem now in a brace. That is the problem. Where I was high on him as a transfer, and according to multiple sources, now we've heard as in yeah, the people who cover been, the team, he hasn't been practicing fully. He's been limited with an injury, all this stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what we're gonna get out of him if he's limited right now. Is he gonna be available to get a lot of carries in the well, start? Well, I, I will say know. someone someone did say that he so he's still wearing the brace but he's playing so presumably that means he'll be playing like if they, if he's live in a scrimmage i'm assuming he would be good yeah, to go that is that is good that's promising to hear so there's there's mark anthony richards there is demarius good who i believe was a little shaken up during the scrimmage on Wednesday, but is believed to be okay, correct? Yep. Um, so there's Demarius Good, who we don't know much about, but he's been around. Um, for is he what is what year is he in now at this point? He's, he's another a, name that I feel like we've been he's hearing. He's a redshirt from. sophomore. So yeah, he's been around for a few years then. 
Um, and then there's Isaiah Bowser, who's a transfer, who at this point seems like he's going to be possibly the starter. That seems to be what people are saying. He spoke so. with the media last week. Um, seems like he's one of the potentially the leaders in that room. Uh, and then there's Johnny which, Richardson, who yeah, go right. ahead with Bowser. Well, we've got Richardson too, which I, yeah. I don't know. I, I I guess the fans just a lot more high on Bowser than I am. I he never struck me as a guy that was going to be like RB one, and that really worries me about this. That was one of my freaks about his position is he just I could be totally off base. Just didn't strike me as that kind of player. Everyone's like, oh, he had 800 yards three years ago. It's like that's cool. It was also three years ago. <laughs> um, you know, I'd say you he had he averaged like 2.9 yards per carry this past year. Like I just I don't know. He does not strike me as your top guy. But I don't know who else you go to. Because like you said, there's also Johnny Richardson, who's a true sophomore. So Very, very fast. Very, very fast, which is good, especially when you have a good O-line, but not necessarily like – I think even – I think Gus said on Wednesday, like, they're the key right now is turning him into an every down back is what he said. Yeah, which – that's exciting. Yeah. So I, I think originally maybe the plan might have just been like, hey, we'll use him when we can use him. But with, with the two guys gone now, you're at a point where you, you kind of need him to be a little bit more of an every down guy. Um, then there's also Trillian Coles and then freshman Anthony Williams. So we just really don't know. That's why I have them low. I, I don't, I think there's a lot of potential and there's talent there. And I think things could work out completely fine, completely well, but just because of everything that's been happening over the last few weeks, I feel less confident than I did before. Yeah. I don't know, man. You were the one who convinced me to put them higher. So I, I, I don't know to tell you I'm with you. How, but okay. Let um, me just throw this scenario out there just because I, I don't know. It's just going to be sad, and I wish this could happen. What if Greg McRae would have come back? Wide like, receivers would have – or uh, running backs, excuse me, probably would have been, like, my, like, third position. Because if you look at this this group right now with – the same group they have right now, even with Bentavious gone and with RJ Hurt, you look at this group that they have with Greg as your RB1, but you have all these other guys behind them, you have to feel so much better about everything. Don't forget, and Otis could have come back, too. They both could have come back. That is true. I, don't, I just feel like – I don't know. I felt like it was less of a possibility of Otis coming back than there. I, well, I, also, for some Otis reason, I just like, believed that Greg was coming back. Maybe it was just my heart, but. Well, Otis, well, no, because it kind of backed up what happened. I mean, Otis has, is with the Rams right now. We'll see if he manages to stick to the season. Yeah. Greg McRae, I think, is with a CFL team. Like, Last I he, saw, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, and I, we said it for so long, and it re- that's why it really bummed me out when he left. I, I think some kids were just done after the COVID season, like, he would have benefited so much from a season as the guy. Cause he never had that here. He was always putting yeah. up with Otis and, or, you know, behind whoever. And I, I just, yeah. I don't know. Things would be a lot different. No, I, that's a hypothetical that I hate that you even brought up. Cause I'm just like, I would feel <laughs> so much better about this season. I thought about it. I thought about it last night and I was like, I'm going to bring this up on the podcast and really bring the mood down a little bit. So I'm and glad, it worked. Glad Congrats. to have done that. All right. So that was, that was your sixth and that was my eighth, which yep. is a shock to this podcast. <laughs> um, so seven, I'll go ahead with seven. Wait, I'm confused. Yes, now. that's correct. Because we have my six. So who's your six? Who's your six? My six is the defensive backs. Yeah, that's my seventh. Okay. Um, well, I'm curious though. I I don't know because I had a hard time putting them at six. So I was like, I think there's a lot here. And I think as I did this like whole rankings exercise, I feel really good about this. The, like the talent they have on this roster, except I for running back. Except for running back. But again, I said running back is is my least. That doesn't mean I necessarily think it's a bad position group. I don't think that's a bad group of players. I'm not letting you talk our listeners into that UCF has a better team than they do. 
you see, you see, I, I, I've gone the different way than you. Like going through this, like I know I said at the top, I really like what they have at the top, but like I just, I don't know. There, there's so many question positions. I think wide receivers, running backs, defensive backs to an extent is a lot of quite special teams even. Like there's just there's a lot of question marks. And yeah, if they go the right way, then the team will be really good. But we don't know if they're all going to flip that way. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I think this is just, it's just again. It's a reflection of our personalities. I think I, as the season gets closer, I very, very feel like I feel very much like this is a good team and this team has a lot of potential to do some very good things. And while you do also believe that it's possible, you're more guarded and you're more prepared for everything to come crashing down. There are two types of people in the world. There are optimists and there are realists. I am a realist. I don't think. Okay. Well, whatever. We'll see. We're gonna have. We I, I hope I'm wrong. I like. I don't want to be sit like my worst case scenario is that I get to go on Twitter in December and be like, ha ha, told you so. UCF was awful. I don't want that. Like, I hope that I'm an idiot and that UCF is literally undefeated. Like, that's, well, that's what I want. I what just, I was, there's a lot of unknowns. That's what I was wondering is like, if this, if you do turn out to be right, are you going to take a victory lap? Because I feel like everyone's no. going to hate you even more. No, I would, <laughs> I'm not going to like gloat if you like, see, I told good. you as this was coming. But again, like I keep having to say this, like I don't think UCF is going to be bad. I just don't think they're going to be the conference champion in the New Year's Six team. I think they're going to be like nine and three or ten and two, and I think that's a totally reasonable goal in a first season. Malls on. I think it sets them up for an awesome twenty twenty two where they can be all those things. But everyone else is in win now mode, and I'm just not. That's the disconnect to me. Is where I, I do how that can't happen. Where I do want to like make sure we're all we're on the same page is like. Yes, you're saying I'm talking up the roster to be better than it is, but I still think I've still maintained that I think ten and two, with the chance of being in the conference championship game, not necessarily winning it. It's like we're not we're not that far off on our like record it's predictions. True. It's just I think in terms of the potential, like the, what I feel like they have on the roster is maybe a little bit different than the levels you're looking at. But the deep the DBs. So we're talking about the DBs here. There again, there's a lot of there's a lot of I guess you'd say unproven guys and. There, but there are also some guys that got valuable experience last year in a really tough year. And yeah, maybe they struggled through it a lot last year, like Corey Thornton did. Um, and, you know, Dante Brown, D- Devod Wilson. There's some guys that got, got their feet wet last year that I think could take that next step this year. And that's why I have them a little bit lower is because, yeah, they could take the next step. We don't know if they will, but I feel pretty, pretty confident that there's a group of guys here that could take that step forward. Yeah. I mean, they can't be worse than they were last year's. So. That's a plus, I guess. Yeah, I like I said, it, it's just it's really the same category that, and that's why I guess that's where the disconnect is for me. Is this is like the third straight group where I basically said, well, a lot of unknowns. Yeah, and you could even go so far as that two of our confident groups, D line and linebackers, are also a lot of unknowns. But we're just more confident in those unknowns than we are in these unknowns. I mean, there's just a lot of unknowns on this team. That is true. That that is true, and I think there's um, there's just some other guys too, like uh, Marco Domio, Gerard Baker. Um, I forgot about Domio. He transferred in pretty recently, didn't he? Fairly recently, I think. Um, and Derek Gaines, who's another guy who I think has a good deal of experience. So there's some guys that have been here that know, you know, that well, I wouldn't say know the system because it's a new defense, but that have been here that have, that know know the college game that have been around it. Um, so I, I, you, I can't, feel... you can't you can't substitute in-game experience, and I recognize. Yeah even in the depths of last season's horrible defense, that that was a plus is that there were some DBs getting out there who this was going to help them down the road. It's down the road now. So I hope that. Cause that Corey Thornton off. was a guy who everyone was very excited to see. Cause he was a, a true freshman yep. last year. Right. I believe and, so. You know, yeah, there were 
bound to be growing pains because he got thrown right into the fire. And I think even uh, Travis Williams talked about that earlier this week, basically that they've got some guys in the secondary that were just thrown feet first in last year, head first in last year. And, you know, now it's time for them to, to use that experience to their advantage. I mean, think about it. Thornton came in as a true freshman every game. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's tough. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> but this is the season where hopefully you see that pay off. Yeah. And that's, that's where, yeah, you hope that all the growing pains from last year were worth it because this year he'll be ready to go, which I think, yeah, I mean, to have 10 games of experience as a true freshman where you're playing starter. Yeah. You're playing meaningful snaps, like consistently every single week, week in, week out. That has, I mean, that has to count for something coming into your next year. Absolutely. But, you know, no, yeah, it is. It's, it's not a position group that I'm overly confident in, but again, it's, that's how I feel about a lot of these groups where I'm, I'm not like certain about them but I still feel pretty good. Like, I think they've, there's, there's a lot of potential there. I just don't know if a team, like, like I said, this could all break perfectly, but then you look at a team like Cincinnati who was very good last year in some unusual circumstances, but was very good. Right. And they don't have unknowns. They, they brought back their whole team. And I just think, and the other thing about UCF is with unknowns, there are moments of growth and moments where you have to figure things out and they jump into the schedule. I mean, Boise state is a critical game and it's their first game. You got Louisville on the road a couple weeks after that. I mean, Cincinnati's fairly early in the season. I mean, they've got a lot of tough games early. I really think we'll know what kind of season this is going to be based off of how they play against Boise State. I think give largely... Me, give me the Louisville game, too. I want the okay. first three before I'd say that. Because okay. I, I, I've been burnt on that in the past. Like, last year they blew out Georgia Tech, and I was like, ah, oh, UCF is back, and that didn't really end up being the case in That's 2019. True. Yeah, there's always there's always the, the potential for them to not play so well and then continue to grow as the season goes on like there's always that possibility but i just feel like we'll get a pretty good gauge of where this team is it, it would be much different if bethune was the first game because I mean, yeah that would probably be helpful to have that game to kind of iron some things out before mm-hmm. you go into a game like boise but boise is a very very immediate measuring stick of like all right this is where we are we at least we know what we can that's kind of fair expect. i mean you've seen yourself up against a should be top 25 team yeah so, and I know Boise's not ranked, but they pretty much every year they're in that range. I mean, that, they'll that's, get there. Like, yeah, they'll the get thing. there. So, yeah, yeah you're going to know pretty quick what yeah. you got and what you don't got, which may, in a way, maybe that's helpful. Who knows? I, I still think it's better to open up the season against like a Bethune just to, you know, get it out, get it out of the way. Yeah. But what can you do? All right. So, help me out here. Just full disclosure to our listeners we've been having some like Zoom connection issues. So, I'm completely lost on where. So, I have. Yeah, you won't be able to tell through, listening to this through the magic of editing, of but Christian we've had to editing. flat out stop like three but, different times. So, so I, we fun. have we have my one through seven, correct? No, false. We have my one through six and my eighth. We have your one through seven. Yeah, I've given my one through. I, I so I'm at, so I haven't given my eighth, and you haven't given your seventh. Right. So my seventh. So that would mean we have the same. It's going to be the same thing. Year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So special teams. Special teams. And my. My thinking here is the kicker is the one big, big, big question mark on the special teams unit. Otherwise, you have a punter in Andrew Osteen who is on the watch list for being the best punter in the nation. You have Alex Ward, who's a guy on the, the watch list for the best long snapper in the country. And then you have a big question mark at kicker. And we saw what happened last year with Daniel Barsky. I sure don't did. mean to just continue to just rip on the kid. But I'm very, very nervous about what's going to happen at that spot this year. They brought in another kicker in Riker Casey from App State, right? Yep. 
So we'll see if he takes the job. And, and Gus didn't really say on Wednesday, but he did say in their scrimmage that they were perfect on extra points and they were two for two on field goals. Didn't say who kicked them. Didn't say who kicked them and didn't say where the field goals were from. So That is true. It could have been like a 21-yard so, field goal. But shout I out mean, to Abarski on his made like 12-yard field goal or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, and I don't know. And then the thing, like, if you also want to include punt return, kick return, we don't really know who's going to be returning kicks and punts, but – UCF has a ton of speed and a ton of, you know, just guys that great athletes that I feel like can fill in those roles, but it's really just about the kicking, like just kicking game is just. Well, my take on it was first off, yeah. Punt and kick returns are going to come probably from running backs, wide receivers, which are true groups that we have a lot of unknowns. So that's unknowns right there. Um, And yeah, like you said, like, I don't have any issues with the punting. I mean, Austin's good, but I, I like, field goals were even even extra points got interesting last year I mean it was just such a constant problem and it's the only position of all eight that we've gone through that I see no reason to expect improvement if I okay so if I were to go back and redo these which I feel like this happens every time we do rankings we talk through (laughs) if I were to go back go back and redo these I would put running backs at seven special teams at eight but I think I gave a lot more weight than I should have to having the long snapper and the punter position so locked down which are cool i mean that's that's nice it's just i think when i looked at the strength that of the entire, of deal, if you're looking at the entire special teams unit and looking at all the spots along special teams i was i was very happy with two of those big positions the biggest one is the one i'm very very nervous about so yeah i probably yeah, would have put them eight but it, listen you know. if if it was Riker casey who made two kicks at practice day then i'm super excited for this season but if it was daniel obarski then they were both 20 yards out and it's not going to be a good year for the kickers so i i like you said i i feel bad i genuinely do because i know he's like a real person he's a student he's younger than we are he's at ucf right now and i don't want to just sit here and be like blah, blah, blah. but it's just like you know we're, we're evaluating the team and we're talking about what to worry about and that is yeah. something to worry about that was a huge problem last year and, and like i said unless it is a different kicker. There's no reason to expect things to be different. Kicking is such a mental game and it's not something that like, I feel like you really see improvement in. you just kind of are what you are. So I don't know. We'll see, but yeah. I don't know. I'm not feeling confident. Yeah. And it's just weird how this has gone because you went from Matthew Wright, who was, you know, one of, I think he was been the all-time points leader at UCF by the time he left. I believe he was. And then Dylan Barnes was maybe not the same level, but he was reliable. You know, and he then, just, I mean, Dylan Barnes was, uh, you're right. He wasn't as good as Matthew Wright, but he, I mean, he didn't, he didn't lose the games or anything, you know, yeah, I mean, he didn't leave me. He came in and complain about. Yeah. I, I don't want a kicker that I'm constantly like every time he walks out or runs out onto the field, I'm looking through my, like my hands at what's going to happen. That was the, what, that was the difference between last year. Like last year, like UCF could be coming out for literally like a 29 yarder. Yeah. And I'm just clenching my fists, like terrified for what's going to like every single kick. And of course, UCF made it fun by having like a horrible defense. So all that together just made for so much stress. Like I just, like I said, I said on the last podcast, I am totally team UCF should just either punt or go far and fourth down this year. Like I say, like if the kicking game is inconsistent, just remove it from the equation. Like why not at this point? There's a lot of situations too where that's, that's just more advantageous anyway. There's a lot of analytics to back that back that up. And a lot of like new school coaches are trying it. Like I I just, why like take a chance at three points when you have probably a higher percentage chance at seven points or six points, if you want to get technical, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I I don't disagree. So yeah, like I said, if I were to go, were to go back and do this special teams, probably eighth running backs at seven, but I can't go back and redo it because we've already recorded this and it's out. It's out there everyone. So that's it for the, uh, the position group um, preview. 
of, of this season preview. And we'll, we'll break, we'll get into the schedule here. Um, I guess I can just run down the schedule and we'll talk, I guess, of, of these games, which ones we're like most keeping an eye on because it is, it's a tough schedule. We've talked about this, I think since we started the podcast, ever since the schedule came out, of course we knew the opponents, but since the schedule has come out. So it's obviously the opener two weeks from now at home against Boise state. Then you have the Bethune Cookman game. Then you go to Louisville the next week before a week off. Then you go at Navy to open conference play. Then it's back home against East Carolina. Then comes that back-to-back stretch of a Saturday Saturday game at Cincinnati, and then you come back the next Friday and host Memphis. And then you go on the road to Temple, back home for Tulane, on the road to SMU, then back home to wrap up with UConn and South Florida. So, yeah, there's some stretches in there. Like, when you look at Boise State and Louisville in two of the first three weeks, and then I guess it's a, probably about a month later you have Cincy and Memphis back-to-back. It's tough. And then you come back, and even a more underrated one probably is home against Tulane and at SMU back-to-back weeks. I, I will say, however this season starts, there's a chance for a lot of optimism to close because the final five games, I don't think UCF will do worse than four and one. Yeah, you know, at Temple, Tulane, at SMU, UConn, South Florida, I can't imagine they'd be worse than four and one in that stretch. So at the very least, and they could very, I, they very could well be five and zero. I really, even though I'm very high on SMU, so. Even if they start, like, if even if they drop a couple early, if they drop Boise or Cincinnati, first off, you have a way better chance of getting ranked if you win later in the season than earlier in the season, which that's mm. big. And it can just give you optimism. It can get you to a better bowl, and it can give you more – give the team something to build off of going into next season. I mean, it, it, even if, like, they drop games here, if they end the season on a five- or six-game win streak – I just dropped my phone. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> then that'll, that'll really give you a lot of optimism for next year and really give you something to build off of versus – like, that was part of why 2019 felt unfulfilling to fans, I think, a little bit, was because it was kind of like – they, they still went 10 and three, but the three losses were like kind of almost evenly spaced so that yeah. you were never too far from because that Tulsa one happened like mid November. Yeah. And by that point, everyone was like, all right, this season sucks pretty much. <laughs> like, and, and I think part of it too, is if you can get, you got, you got really big games here. You got Boise state, Louisville, Cincinnati, SMU. If you can get out of the season, just having won a couple of those, just remind UCF fans for the first time in a couple of years that you can win the big games that you are on that level. That's, then that, been, that's fine. That's what's been missing. That is because yeah. the last two years, there was a, a, ten, a 10 and three year. Yeah. Like, and, and I'm not going to say it was a bad season, but when you look at the games they lost, like they did not win any big games that year. I guess, unless you count Stanford, which I think four, at the time, Stanford went four and eight, though. Yeah. So at the time, it felt you know. big, but it wasn't necessarily that big of a game. I think it felt big because it was like kind of Dylan Gabriel's coming out party and they just dominated that game. They, but, I mean, they did. I, Pete, fans are going to agree with me, but uh, FAU went 11 and three that year, won Conference USA beat up on SNU, SMU in a bowl and UCF walked into their stadium and rolled them. So, I mean, UCF had a couple, but like, but UCF saw us not measuring their season on, did we compete with FAU? I yeah. mean, they're measuring on, did we compete with Cincinnati? Did we compete with, you know, so yeah, yeah like beating a four and eight Pac-12 team in the Conference USA champ is cool. But, you know, this year, you, I, I feel like very specifically, it's three games to me. It's Boise State, Louisville, and Cincinnati. If UCF yeah. goes nine and three, but those are the three losses, I think that's going to be a really rough season for a lot. It's of going to feel very unfulfilling, and that's this is where I think I'll I'll come to your defense here, and then we can just go ahead and jump into the news. Um, all the, throughout the last several weeks, I don't know how long going back this has been. You've been trying to help everyone manage their expectations, and people don't like when you do that. But <laughs> no, like don't. like you mentioned earlier, when you look at a team like Cincinnati, who's just bringing everyone back, and then a team like UCF, who has as many question marks as they do. So you, you, you 
to consider that as just, all right, that's already kind of going to make you feel a little bit more apprehensive. And then you look at this being one of the most, like one of the toughest schedules UCF's had. I don't know when, this is probably the toughest schedule in a good number of years. I'd say 17, 2017 yeah. was really tough, but so, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you factor in all of these unknowns and a very like tough schedule that you should be managing your expectations. You shouldn't just be like, Oh, we're UCF. We're going to roll over everyone and go to the new year six immediately. So like, that's where I agree with you. And like, while we differ a tiny bit on maybe where I think this season could go, although I don't even know if we do, but I just want to, want to say like, just because I'm not as vocal about managing expectations, I'm really on board with, with everything basically that you have to say. I think, uh, I mean, you, yeah. I, I just think and that, you, you I know you will frame it as realism, which is, yeah, it's a lot of it's based on realism, but some of it I think is you thinking like if everything that could go wrong will go wrong. I think you have the tendency to do that. This is true. So that's where I don't agree exactly. like necessarily, but I'm, I'm on board with like people need to look at this season for, you know, it's the first season we're coming out of the post hypo years. We want to leave those years in the past. And then you want to give yourself something to build off of build off, build from with this year. And so if you win a couple big games and you don't necessarily win the conference, but you win a couple big games, you put yourself in a good position to finish. If you finish ranked, I mean, that's, that's an amazing, that's, that's a big deal. So if you can get to that point where you win 10 games, you finish ranked, maybe you don't win the conference. You've got a lot to build on for next year. And that's, that's the thing that I wish. And you said this on a past podcast is like, or you said it's something similar is I, I, I wish fans could appreciate the fact that this is no matter how you slice it. I think fans want this to be the year. This is a foundational year for UCF. It's the first year of a new coaching staff. There's been a ton of turnover on the roster. It is, by all accounts, a foundational year. The fact that UCF is now a program, the type of program where a foundational year can still mean 10 wins, yeah. can still mean a top 25 season, that's how far this program has come. And I wish we could appreciate that a little more, that the idea that our quote-unquote down years, if you want to call them that, are still nine and 10 win seasons now. I mean, that's great. There was a time not too long ago where – it would be like, oh, okay, well, UCF went 10 and four last year, so they're going to be four and eight this year. Like literally like down years for UCF were not no going sense. to a bowl. And the fact that a, like a foundation year now or a rebuilding year is still nine or 10 wins, that's awesome. And I love that. So that's why it bugs me that everyone else just seems pissed about it. Yeah, it's just like every year has to be a dream the year. season. Yeah, and it's it's not realistic. I mean, I know people will like to say, oh yeah, like UCF should be like at this level of, the group of five, but the group of five has gotten to a point where there are a lot of good group of five teams and you're not going to be that team every single year. No one is. No so, one ever has been. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you think, cause people talk about, Oh, all these power five teams, all these near six games to be a power five team to go to a near six bowl. It's pretty simple. If you're in the big 10 of the sec, you just basically have to be nine and three or 10 and two. If you're in the other conferences, 10 and two or 11 and one you're in, if you're in the group of five, you have to be the best of a group of 55 teams with no room for error. Yeah, it's way harder to, to do it as a group of five. So I recognize that UCF may be worth it more, but it's just, it's not attainable for them to do that every year, especially not when there are a lot of other really good group of five programs right now. Yeah, absolutely. It, it'll be, I think when you look at the season, it'll be a fun season. There's a lot of unknowns. It'll be fun to see how those unknowns unfold. And yeah, I just think it, it'll be, first of all, also just to, to have a, what hopefully should be a more, a more normal, relatively normal college football season that's almost enough to get you a little bit, you know, to be, to be pretty hyped up for these next couple of weeks to pass and you to get into the season. So, yeah, I think if I could urge UCF fans to do anything, just try to enjoy it, try not to overthink everything. And if they don't beat Boise state by 
more than two touchdowns, don't be like, oh, like they should have put up more. Like what? Just they win that That's game. That's the other thing. Listen, UCF fans. I'm not going to rant because I said I wasn't going to, but listen up if you're listening to this. Do not ever, do not ever go on Twitter and get mad about a win. That should not happen this season because that happened a lot the last couple of years. Do not, if they won, great. Do not get mad about a win. Just accept the win. If they win, if they beat Bethune Cookman by the okay, you can get mad about that one. But anything else, just, just, just be happy. They won a game. Yeah, and stop it. I think. I don't know if I'm understanding you right. Like, don't that doesn't mean you have to be like happy about everything that happened in the win, but like, don't no. completely like just I don't know. If you win the game, like that's the bottom line. You won the game, goes in the win column. Here's what, yeah, like here's what maybe you can be concerned about going into the next game, whatever. You can still analyze it, but just don't throw fits over not winning games by enough points. That's exactly right. Like, l- listen, you can be like, oh wow, the UCF didn't play well. This player didn't look good. Whatever. Worried about next week. Whatever. Okay. But, but like, the end of those sentences should be at least we won. At least we won. At least we won. And there was a lot of, especially in 2019. Like, I remember when UCF beat Tulane, which they pretty much blew out Tulane, but then Tulane scored like a couple late touchdowns, now being 34-31. And Twitter was in shambles. And I'm just sitting here, like UCF moves to eight and three, and everyone's just like, I can't. How embarrassing that Tulane competed with us. It's like I just, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't want yeah. that guys i really don't want that try to keep that plus like i i feel like fans forget sometimes like are you aware that all of the coaches and players are on twitter are seeing what you're posting like how do you think they feel when they win a game and they all get in their lockers and check their phones and you're just trashing them because they didn't win by enough points they see that stuff i don't don't know why you want to put your team down just don't do that yeah so all right we'll get off our soapboxes (laughs) and we'll move into the the football news from this week uh cole schneider made the senior bowl watch list and then as of August 12th, season tickets were at a 97% sold out. So looking pretty good there. Mm. Um, UCF in the NFL, Trey Nixon is wearing number 87 for the Patriots, which was last worn by Rob Gronkowski, the future Hall of Famer. So feels a little, feels a little bold, doesn't it? Um, I, I don't think he registered a target in uh, his initial preseason game, but by all accounts, I mean, I think he's expected to be um, a potential gem for the uh, for New England this year. So they, they seem to like him. Yeah. So that will be uh, that will be interesting to watch. Jacob Harris in his preseason debut caught four passes for 43 yards to lead the Rams in their preseason opener against the Chargers. Um, William Lee the fourth joined UCF staff this week as an assistant uh, assistant recruiting director. And then uh, the big the biggest probably news from football this week was the AP preseason poll was released. UCF got five votes, which landed them about 40th. And uh, the other notables that we can look at, uh, Cincinnati's 8th, Coastal Carolina 22nd, Louisiana 23rd, Boise State 34th, and Houston 38th. I was kind of surprised to see Houston. I think they both – they have the same amount of votes as UCF. Yeah, they were a couple tied for that spot. Whatever they were listed at. But And then the one thing I wanted to point out, Eric Hansen, shout out to him, the South South Bend Tribune, had UCF ranked 24th. He was the the one to rank UCF the highest. So we like And shout out to – you know what? I'm not going to go there. Never mind. <laughs> I just, I don't like preseason polls. It, I like them for the fact that like, oh, that means the season's very close, but I don't like them just for just about every other reason. Texas, yeah. Texas being where they are, Florida being at 13. The, the, the preseason AP poll is a very simple thing. Like there's a formula to it. It is a snapshot of how the final AP poll was the year before. Knock all the group of five teams down eight spots throw texas in and that's, your, and that's your preseason poll except, except for except for cincinnati who they've broken the eighth. but yeah uh, it's, you're, welcome, you're welcome cincinnati and i think I, I texted this to you earlier this week it's very much just like what were the rankings at the end of last year jumble them up a little bit just to make it look like we tried to do something it's just like 
those memes that always go around where it's like, oh, let me, can I copy your homework? And it's like, yeah, just change a few of the answers to make it not look suspicious. That's what it Why always feels like. Why in the world is North Carolina 10th? Because they have a good quarterback, Christian. <laughs> Uh, I, like, is it just because they're like, oh, Mac Brown? Like, like, why is North Carolina is not going to be ranked at the end of the season? There's not a chance. You, you call me out on it if I'm wrong, but no way, no way. <laughs> Someone will, I'm sure. Um, otherwise, other word or other, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Elsewhere in UCF football news, Adrian Killens got let go by the Eagles yet again, but this time he was picked up by the Broncos, so he's out in Denver now. Um, and then one thing that we got out of Wednesday's press conference with Gus Malzahn, he said that UCF will announce its captains tonight. I'm assuming, I don't know. I don't know if he meant that like to the team they'll be announcing it or if we'll get to know about it on social media at all. We'll see. By the time you're listening to this, it's possible that we know him one way or the other. It's going to be wild when Mackenzie Milton's named a captain. <laughs> what? I don't know. It's, they, said it was by, they said it was by player vote. I feel like he still has some pull. He Let's might. Three, uh, three more notable things from elsewhere around the kingdom in UCF sports. Uh, in women's soccer, Caroline Delisle was named the AAC preseason goalkeeper of the year. She shared that with uh, UC, USF's Sydney Martinez, and UCF was picked to finish fifth in the AAC. So hoping that they'll uh, pull ahead and, and prove prove the voters wrong there. Uh, men's soccer, their schedule was announced, and it seems a little late for their schedule to be coming, uh, coming out. They've already had an exhibition game, which they won 7-2 to over Stetson. Don't they play like next week? Yeah, their opener is August 26th um, at home against FIU. Their non-conference slate includes games against UNF, Virginia Tech, uh, a road match at NC State, and FGCU at home. They have their AAC opener on September 18th at Memphis. They've got the two War on I-4 matches. Um, one, uh, the, the away game is September 29th, and the home one is October 27th. And then the regular season finale is at Tulsa on November 5th. And finally, volleyball, they were picked to four-peat as AAC champions. And McKenna Melville, who is back, is on the UCF roster. So I think early, early podcasts, I mentioned, oh, it's like this is the last year. I'm completely forgetting the COVID, COVID rules, COVID um, allowing players to come back for another year. Didn't even consider it. And I saw on Wednesday, McKenna Melville was named the unanimous AAC preseason player of the year. Rightfully so. She's going to have another great season, of course. Um, Melville and Anne-Marie Watson were named to the preseason all-conference team. So just once again, especially, I mean, I was going to expect a lot from UCF volleyball anyway, but especially with McKenna Melville back, I am expecting just another undefeated. exceptional season. Undefeated, like whole undefeated. season? Whole season? All the way through until the NCAA tournament when they lose in the first round. That is... I'm just kidding. I don't want to throw shit. I love volleyball. And yeah, I think they're really good here. I didn't notice she was back either. Uh, we, we were talking about this, that like a lot of the other UCF teams outside of football and the basketballs have like players back with the super senior role and just none of them really announced it. Like I'm just noticing it on preseason rosters and stuff. So yeah, it's been interesting. It's, it was just a weird thing where like, once I saw, like once I saw it and kind of actually gave it some thought, I was like, Oh yeah, she's back on like the COVID year. She's a super senior makes so much sense. Yep. But I just wanted to like hand up like whatever podcast those were earlier when we were talking about volleyball and I talked glowingly about McKenna Melville's career. Her career is not done. She's got another year. Um, which we're definitely going to be uh, very excited about. Can't wait, actually, for, you know, these other UCF sports are getting ready to start. Um, it's got me so excited. I think women's soccer starts on Thursday night. They're the uh, Yeah, we've they're... been talking so much about football, but, like, so many sports seasons are upon us, and I'm so happy about it. Feels good, especially after what felt like a summer that in some some ways felt very long, in other, in other ways it kind of kind of flew by. So I'm glad, glad we are where we are um, and where we will be next week is episode 32 we'll be previewing ucf boise state it's literally it's a game preview christian 
I'm so we have happy. A game preview. And then the one after that, we'll be talking about a game that actually happened. So that is exciting. We will be back next week with episode 32. Until then, thank you guys so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, at Night Sports Now. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.